Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Verses 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Second one's from John 14, verses 1 to 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you <laughs> that you're alive. We thank you that uh, Jesus came and showed us the way to the Father. Lord, we thank you that you've given us today your, the Spirit, your Spirit to live in us, to empower us, to help us, to encourage us, to empower us. I pray, Lord, that through your spirit you would speak to us this morning, that you would encourage us and, and show us how we are to be in this world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, some of you might know, many of you do, that uh, Wendy and I were cross-cultural workers in Malawi for about 20 years. Malawi is a very small country in southern Africa. And uh, the reason that... Um, that uh, Baptist Mission Australia, that's who we worked with. They've just changed their name. They were Global Interaction, but they've gone back to their Baptist sort of name. The, the reason that they originally decided to work amongst the Yao uh, was because the Yao are actually one of the few, few people groups in southern Africa um, that had not been impacted by the gospel. They are actually largely a Muslim community. And uh, so a few years ago, someone asked me whether or, not, whether or not I thought we would ever see Yao Muslims becoming Christians. And after some thought, I answered, no, probably not. Now, you're probably thinking with an answer like that, how do we spend 20 plus years working in Malawi with the Yao? Wouldn't it have been a bit demoralising? Well, I didn't finish my answer there, of course. After some reflection, I said, we will probably not see the Yao becoming Christians in any great numbers, but I believe we will see the Yao becoming followers of Jesus. 
And today we have been witnessing just that. See, many people have attempted to share the Christian message uh, with the Yao, but many of those attempts were quite unsuccessful. People concluded because of that that the Yao were actually resistant to the gospel. But uh, that wasn't the case. You see, they're actually resistant to being Christianized. And we found that they're actually open to hearing about Jesus and even open to following Jesus and even open to calling Jesus Lord. You might think, oh, how does that happen? How does that work? Well, I'm hopefully going to explain a bit about that this morning. When the Yao heard the gospel in their own language and when it was framed in a culturally appropriate manner, and when they were invited to follow and worship Jesus in ways that resonated with their own culture and even with their own religious traditions, and not asked to join another religious community, then we found that the Yao responded positively to Jesus and positively to what God had done for them through him. And I want to suggest to you today that we need to rethink what it is what it is that we're actually calling people to enter and what it is that we're actually calling people to follow as we engage people in the community around us with the gospel. If we want to actually see people in our community who are also, I believe, highly resistant to Christianity. And if we want to see them becoming followers of Jesus as well. But today, as you know, the idea of mission is strange Strange for many people, including Christians, unless, of course, you frame mission just as uh, engaging or helping the poor and the marginalised, then that's acceptable. But the idea of people going to share a message about God with other people who follow another religion or who are from a different cultural background seems a bit outdated. It seems a bit narrow, even arrogant to many people today. Today in postmodern, post-Christian societies like Australia, the idea of telling someone that they need to change their religion is frowned upon. Because actually we've been taught to be wary of believing that there are such things as a single truth, or there's such thing as a universal truth or absolute truth. And so the uh, the general belief today is that religion is a private matter. And that religions are basically on about the same thing. They are leading people to the same place and therefore all are basically valid pathways to God for those who believe that there is a higher power in the universe. So I believe this sentiment is actually widespread in our community. We're taught it in school, it's reinforced in university and is now actually regulated and moderated through, uh, through public opinion especially on social media, where you can be cancelled, <laughs> basically, for saying the wrong thing or something that you know, is, is actually uh, contrary to what many people believe. So those views, I think, also impact us. And they've actually made us, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, reluctant to engage with people. And, uh, and uh, reluctant to make any absolute claims about Christianity because we're actually mindful and fearful about what people might think of us and actually we're fearful of how people respond to us. And so the, the result of this is that, that many of us have become anonymous Christians. 
to the people that we see every day at work and at school. I don't think that's because we're ashamed of Jesus. I think it's because the church and Christianity are not that well respected in the community now. As you know, the theme that we're tackling this year is rethinking mission, God's mission and our part. And now I'm really aware that many of you have been quite patient with me (laughs) as I've been talking about this theme for the past sort of 15 weeks or so. And I know that many of you have been watching the videos and and, uh, being involved in discussions in in our connect groups about uh, about the videos. But some of you are probably wondering, "Hmm, how is this possible? How is it possible to be on mission in our society when Christianity and the church seem to be a really hard sell today? Some of you are probably even nudging your friends, saying, come on, you tell him. No, no, you tell him, pastor. We love the idealism that you have, but we don't think people are going to respond to any mission of the church. We don't think they're going to engage with that. Therefore, today I want to address the elephant in the room. I want to look at the exclusive claims of Jesus and his specific command for us to enter in through the narrow gate and our role of helping others to do that as well. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his followers that there are two gates, there are two paths, one which is narrow and hard to find that leads to life and another which is wide, easy to locate, but actually, according to Jesus, ends in destruction. This is a really difficult part of scripture to read. (laughs) So much so that actually we like to jump over it. Because it doesn't actually fit our ideals or the ideals of the postmodern world. We're we're told today that there are no absolutes, no universal truths. and, and, And we're told that there's definitely no single pathway to life, God and eternity. But over the past few months, we've been grappling each Sunday here and in our connect groups with actually the type of community that God wants us to become. And we're trying to understand how we can actually join God, aren't we, in God's mission to the world. But those messages, messages, although personally challenging, (laughs) I don't think they they are as challenging as this passage that we're looking at this morning. You see, most of the other aspects of of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount have been dealing with what it means to be an authentic Christian, which is completely necessary if we're going to be God's kingdom people in this world and in this community. He's challenged people about hypocrisy, about not having other things in our lives ahead of him. And there have been challenges about investing our money, our time, our energy in things that matter and in things that have actually an impact for eternity. But here, at the end of the sermon, Jesus is saying we need to live and proclaim to the world that there's actually only one narrow way to experience the kingdom of life and that all people need to enter into it via that way. Wow. (laughs) This is a very challenging part of the sermon, particularly for us as we live in a society which insists that all religions are equally valid and that none of them, they say, has exclusive truth. 
that can tell people that there is only one way to experience God in life. And so for them, and for many people, maybe even you this morning, that message actually sounds intolerant. But now, therefore, why is this important to discuss? Why haven't I also just jumped over this part in the Sermon on the Mount, which would have been really easy to do because there were other things I could have talked about. For one, I think that Jesus does call us to enter into enter the narrow path and through the narrow gate. And I believe that Jesus also does ask us to, encourage, to, to actually call other people to do the same. However, I think that we've actually misunderstood the narrow path for something that it's actually not. And here's the problem. The result, I think, of this is that many of us have largely, largely pulled back from talking about what we believe and why we believe it to our neighbours and our colleagues and friends because of that misunderstanding. In order to be genuinely on mission with God, we need to understand what the narrow path is and we need to enter it, we need to follow it and then proclaim only this narrow path to others and not a whole bunch of other stuff which are actually non-essentials. So what is the narrow path that leads to life that Jesus mentions here? Well, Jesus tells us in John 14, he says, in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. <laughs> and now you think, well, well, that's helpful, isn't it? Because actually that sounds even worse than the narrow gate or the narrow path because at least the narrow path and the narrow gate were quite ambiguous. What Jesus is saying in John 14, 6 is the narrow path, though, is not a religion. It's a person. The narrow path is Jesus, the one who came from God, who was crucified in our place and who rose again and who is Lord. And this is what Jesus calls us to accept and what he calls us to point others to as we go through life. The narrow path is, is not this church, nor is it any church, nor is it Christianity as a sort of religious system with all of our customs and laws our church laws and rituals, even ethical values that are often associated with Christianity and churches. The narrow path is to enter into a relationship with someone. It's actually to enter into a relationship with the risen Lord Jesus and to follow him. Often we can get embarrassed and think that Jesus' divinity is the thing that will cause, cause people to reject Jesus today. And because of this, we de-emphasise Jesus' divinity, and we emphasise instead Jesus as a good role model or Jesus as a moral or ethical teacher. And of course, Jesus was those things. But actually highlighting those things, uh, aspects of Jesus, is actually not the narrow path that Jesus is wanting people to enter because they actually don't lead people into a relationship with Jesus. They actually only lead people into moralism, which is actually a very deadening aspect of religion. When we make those things a narrow path and call people to enter, enter them, we're introducing them actually to an institution and to laws and to restrictions. And when, they, when we do that, people don't see Jesus, but instead they see moral and cultural teachings of the church. 
In days gone by, that might have been acceptable. It might have even worked. But in this day and age, in a culturally and socially diverse society like ours, that call is way too narrow. Because those morals, rules, regulations, governance ideas, worship styles, meeting styles are shaped by culture and, of course, are not universally valid. Did you know that there are more than 33,000 Christian denominations in the world today? I don't know why Baptist is the biggest one up there. I actually tried to find a slide where Baptist was really small. <laughs> I couldn't find one. But what does that tell you? What if there are 33,000 plus? In fact, 33,000 is, um, is actually at the bottom end of what people think there are. I thought I'll be conservative. But what does 33,000 different denominations tell you? Well, it tells you, or it tells me anyway, that although there are solid core beliefs amongst Christians, there are also a lot of differences in what people believe on the edges of Christianity and how they, in, in things about how people worship or how people do and function in church. I actually don't think that 33,000 plus denominations is a bad thing. But it does tell us something. It tells us that we should not be calling people to enter the church as a narrow path or even Christian religious system as a narrow path because the form of Christianity or the, or the form of church that we point people to is one of many valid forms of being in a Christian community today. I'm telling you, this is a Baptist pastor. <laughs> who loves being a Baptist. But I also know from my work and experience working with other Christians around the world that, there's, that it's not the only form of church by any means. Jesus does not give us wiggle room about the narrow path. Jesus says plainly, he is the path. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. A little further down in John chapter 10, he says, I and the Father are one. John also records a number of special sayings that Jesus used to describe himself to people, to help them understand who he is and what he had come to do. The famous I am sayings in John, Jesus told his followers, he said, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth and the life, I am the vine. We might think, well, that was okay back then. But it's not going to fly today telling my neighbours and friends that Jesus is the only way to really know God and experience life in the fall. But it wasn't just Jesus who, who actually saw himself this way. All his disciples actually eventually came to see Jesus as the gate, as the path, as the Lord and Saviour, as the narrow path that enables people to know God and to experience life to the full. And see, these followers came to know that, but they actually were living in a multi-religious, multicultural society as well. People followed different religions and gods and all of them saw those paths as legitimate ways to navigate life and even death. But even in that environment, they came to proclaim Jesus as a narrow path, narrow way to God and to life. 
In Acts 4.12, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, told the council of Jewish religious leaders that there is salvation in no one else but Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Wouldn't have been an easy thing to actually stand up and say that, especially unless, of course, Peter had evidence to back that up and unless he was actually convinced by the evidence that he sought to back that up. And so today, every truth claim demands evidence, doesn't it? And rightly so. Science today operates on the assumption that physical reality is actually the same uh, around the world, uh, same for every person around the world. Gravity, uh, for instance, is the physical law of our world. Every person, whether they have a PhD in physics or uh, whether they have no formal education at all, everyone knows that things fall down. <laughs> the cup, when it goes off the edge of the kitchen centre bench, it doesn't float up. It always falls down. It's not that some people believe this and others don't. It's a universal truth, even if you don't believe it. If you step off the pier, if you go down at St Kilda and you step off the pier, guess what? A couple of seconds, you'll be in the drink. And that's because you've experienced the force of gravity. Despite what we are told, there are, there are such things as universal and global truths. And, and what Jesus is saying is that we need to proclaim him as the narrow path as a universal truth. Now you say, well, hang on a minute. We live in a postmodern age, therefore, what evidence, there, what evidence is there for such a claim? All truth claims are weighed up and accepted on evidence, aren't they? Global warming scientists are out there as we speak, drilling holes in ice sheets to understand the temperature variations on the planet over millennia. They're also out there measuring the temperatures of oceans, the levels of carbon in the atmosphere. And once they've done all of those measurements, all those, you know, they're actually then crunching the numbers. Crunching the numbers, that will, and they'll use those to show us evidence that the planet is warming. And they'll pop up a whole lot of diagrams and, and charts. Look at that, they'll say. There. And we'll go, oh, okay, thank you for that evidence. I want to suggest to you that Jesus claimed to be the narrow path. His claim to be the way, the truth and the life are no different. They also demand evidence as well. In Jesus' day, he performed a number of signs as evidence that pointed to who he was. His resurrection from the dead is the most significant form of evidence that was actually witnessed by more than 500 people who were not expecting that to take place. In fact, they were probably resurrection deniers. But they became resurrection believers after they saw that for themselves. But today, in this day and age, we're not really sure about that evidence because it was so far back in history and it's also recorded in the Bible. So many people are actually not sure if they can rely on that. So what then is the evidence around that, that we can actually show, point people to that Jesus, for Jesus' claim that he's the narrow path? What is the evidence 
that will prove that he is the way, the truth and the life and the only way to, God, to know God and to experience salvation. The evidence that points to the truth of Jesus' claim today, I believe, strongly, are the lives of those who know and follow him. The transformed lives of those who know him and follow him. It is every person who believes that Jesus is Lord and who seeks to live their life with him as their Lord. You see, it's our transforming lives. I don't say transformed as a past tense thing. Yes, Jesus does do some significant stuff in us, but we're being transformed every day and we need to go on being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And this, this transforming life is evidence which shows Jesus to be the narrow path. You see, the early church actually became this transformed community. If you read Acts 4, you will see what was happening in their lives. They met together every day. They were convinced about the Lord's teaching and they, um, they declared with their lives and with their actions that Jesus is Lord. They, they prayed for people's healing. They cared for the poor and the needy. They gave from their own wealth so that they could support the, the work of the church and the work of, of mission and they also proclaimed, though, at the same time that Jesus is Lord. You see, the, the reason for their lifestyle change, the reason, reason for their transformation, actually had, was the, that, 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 they had to point to, the, to where that source came from. And it was Jesus who actually was the power and source of that. The problem that we have had is that we've not proclaimed Jesus as Lord, as a narrow path, often. Instead, we proclaim the church and also our particular version of Christianity as a narrow path, which is really not convincing enough evidence for the universal truth claim that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. We've, we, we, but we're not alone in that. In fact, the early church, although it got a lot of things right initially about that Jesus was the source of their transformed lives, they also got some things wrong. You see, the first followers of Jesus were all Jews and uh, they initially called people to follow their way instead of following Jesus. So the first followers of Jesus were all Jews and they couldn't imagine anyone else, that anyone else could actually follow Jesus and not do that by becoming Jewish, religiously and culturally. But then God did something really amazing in their lives to make them see things differently. You see, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Peter was led to actually go, leave his Jewish little ghetto and go and meet with some Gentile people, some people who are not Jews by culture or religion, people who worshipped other gods and who didn't follow any of the religious laws or cultural laws of the Jews. And he did this at the prompting of the Holy Spirit after seeing this vision that God gave him. And he went to a Gentile's house one day, although this was not the done thing. And when he arrived there, he began to share the message that God had placed on his heart about what God had done through Jesus. And guess what? People believed what he said and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this sort of shocked Peter. And it shocked the people who were with Peter because up until that point, no others who were non-Jews had really come to faith in Jesus. 
As you can imagine, it caused a huge stir. Such a stir that it caused all the Jewish Christian leaders to call a big meeting because they wanted to hear about what had happened and they, they had a big debate because they didn't actually think that this was possible. They thought, surely there must be some other explanation. You see, initially in the early church, Christians wanted to make the Gentiles actually have a double conversion. They wanted them to believe in Jesus, follow Jesus by repenting and believing, but they also wanted them to convert to becoming Jews culturally and religiously. But after hearing all the evidence from Paul, Barnabas and Peter that God had really given them the Holy Spirit and had really changed these people's lives, the Jewish Christians believed that it was possible to follow Jesus while even remaining or being part of another culture and religious heritage. James, the leader of the Jewish followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, told those at the meeting, he said, we should not trouble these Gentile believers who are turning to God and insist on them taking on our Jewish culture as well. Basically, he was giving them freedom to worship and follow Jesus as the Holy Spirit guided them while remaining within their culture, religious and social contexts. That was so liberating. The result of this was that a new community of non-Jewish Jesus followers actually emerged and it was filled with people who did not know anything about Jewish traditions or customs, yet who called Jesus Lord and who proclaimed him as Lord to the people around them. And the result of this was massive numbers of people who were attracted to Jesus and heard about him and entered into the narrow path as well. And all of us here today are actually the result of that. Because none of us, I'm pretty sure none of us come out of a Jewish heritage, but we are the result. Look at us, we're a multicultural community. We're the result of this sort of, this amazing thing that took place all those years ago. Friends, today you need to understand that the narrow path to, is to accept Jesus as Lord and to live your life with Jesus as Lord in front of people. That is the mission that... Jesus is calling us to be involved in today. If you call people to a religious system, if you call people to a particular church with all our customs and rituals, then people will rightly reject that, that it's not a universal call. But if you strip away all that's not necessary to the bare essentials for someone to have peace with God, like the followers of Je first followers of Jesus did, and you proclaim Jesus as a narrow path, and you actually show the evidence of the lordship of Jesus in your life, which is your transforming life, then the end result will be anything but narrow. You see, people will be attracted and they'll respond, I guarantee it, because I've seen it around the world. It will also result in a rich mosaic of people who are calling Jesus Lord and yet following him in ways that are culturally appropriate to them and to their community and their lives will also become authentic expressions of faith amongst people who are like them. Today around the world, many cross-cultural workers are seeing people from many different religious and cultural communities coming to faith in Jesus when they're not forced to accept the whole lot of other things in addition to the lordship of Jesus. 
the communities, churches that are formed by these Jesus followers, actually not, not often a lot like ours because they're actually shaped by the context and cultures in which they arise. But they're not inferior communities of faith either. They're not inferior followers of Jesus. They're authentic. And so, friends, today, Jesus is calling us, I believe, as a church, to once again come back to the core essentials of our faith by being willing to strip away the stuff that's been added that's not essential, the hurdles that we've placed in people's way that have made them not want to listen to our message or come close to hear or even be part of this community of Jesus' followers. In order that they encounter Jesus afresh, we need to be willing to live out the lordship of Jesus in front of people while at the same time claiming in humility that Jesus is Lord and that he alone is the one who is actually responsible for the transforming of us to, 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 to what we do and say and how we love. I like the way Ingrid Esklet puts it. She says we need humble boldness in our presentation of Jesus as Lord. Friends, Wendy and I found in our ministry in Malawi that when we came to people in humility, stripping back the message of the essentials, stripping back the message to the essentials, then people responded and followed Jesus themselves. Not just ones or twos, but groups of people, including village chiefs, religious leaders, ordinary mums and dads. This is one of the communities that we worked with. We shared with them using their language, using concepts from their culture, using concepts from their religion, never demanding anything which was not essential to following Jesus. And the result has been, the result has been people, groups of people knowing him, meeting, worshipping and sharing life and faith in ways that are authentic to their culture and authentic to who Jesus wants them to be. Friends, this, friends, isn't this what everyone wants and desires and needs today? Isn't this what our community needs today from us? Isn't this really what you want for yourself to actually authentically follow Jesus, not take on some other cultural background to do that? I believe that Jesus is calling us to actually reimagine, to rethink what following Jesus looks like in the community in which we live. And as we rethink mission, God's mission, our part, we need, like the first followers of Jesus, to free Jesus from our attempts to capture him. And once again, come back to the essentials of what it means to follow Jesus and proclaim this and live this out. As the band comes, I want to say that when we do this, it's actually when we actually do this, people will see Jesus in us and they'll hear from us because they'll ask us what is it what is it that's going on in your life and we will be able to tell them jesus is lord it's jesus the risen one who's done this and together those things will actually be the witness of this community and will draw people to jesus let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you for the wonderful things you've done in, in people's lives around the world. Lord, 
I pray that you'd help us as a church as we grapple with what it means to be on mission with you today. There's a beautiful thing that you're calling us back to that narrow path. Help us to live that. Live with Jesus as Lord. To be empowered by the Holy Spirit in front of people. And at the same time, give us courage to declare where that power comes from and why we do what we do. And that it's because you, Jesus, are Lord. Amen.